Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Monthly Movie News, a semi-monthly segment on Cinematic Doctrine where we discuss important movie news topics from the previous month. To kick things off, Carter and I discuss the continued strain that is 2020 on movie theaters and how AMC is looking to make some major changes regarding its stocks and what I predict will be its assets due to the direction things are heading. Carter also shares insight on how stocks function because I only know so much about them and how people like me should view them. Then we discuss Disney's change from releasing Pixar's upcoming film Soul from theaters to Disney+, Plus, as the film will be releasing directly to streaming via Disney+, Plus and be included in your Disney+, Plus subscription as opposed to Mulan's $30 price tag. We also discuss the massive changes in terms of film distribution, a topic closely related to the changing theater scene. And yes, we also discuss the controversy surrounding Mulan and how it may have affected Disney's pursuit of a PVOD model. Also, we continue our speculation on whether a precedent has been set regarding typical streaming distribution changes, such as the difference between premium video on demand or purchasing a film to watch for a lot of money and simply dropping a film for free on Netflix or Prime. All in all, this episode fascinates me. I love industry talk sometimes even more than I love movies. It may sound a bit Greek at times, but I feel we handle the minutiae of this discussion well enough that anyone can listen and learn some new things about the film industry theater industry, and the streaming giants of Netflix, Prime, and Disney+. We even talk about generational differences and how our generation, millennials, consumes media in a totally different way to those younger than us, Zoomers, who consume a ton of media through apps like YouTube and TikTok, and how that alone makes a lot of these industry changes all the more complex and exciting. Lastly, Carter and I decide on whether Wonder Woman 1984 will either stick to its December 25th release date, be moved into 2021, or if Warner Bros. has another trick up its sleeve. Hopefully by the time this episode is posted and you're listening, Warner Brothers hasn't made a decision yet. Either way, it's fun hearing how we rationalize what we think may happen. If you enjoy the show, you can always stop by the Cinematic Doctrine Patreon and show your support with a $3 monthly donation. Doesn't seem like much, but it helps us with upgrading equipment and producing more content. If you support the show through Patreon, you'll also gain access to some sick perks like voting on a movie we discuss at the end of each month, as well as exclusive access to the pre-show, a special show that's a bit more freeform with general Christian film or personal discussions. You can also catch Cinematic Doctrine on social media, Twitter, Facebook, wherever, or over at the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group, which is the place to be if you want to chat movies and Christianity with other like-minded Christians. And don't be afraid to leave us a review and give us some unfiltered thoughts on the show. We'd love to hear what you have to say. And lastly, you can check out CinematicDoctrine.com for written editorials and think pieces, as well as brief thoughts on trailers when they come out. Without further ado, let's talk some news. You know, Carter, I was thinking to myself how the last movie news we recorded was about how theaters were doing. And three months later, maybe two or three months later, Nothing's changed, and we are still now talking about how theaters are doing. So isn't that an interesting thing? We are still talking about how theaters are hanging on by a thread. And, you know, it's it's interesting because the only lifeline that they really have to look forward to is Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, that, if that gets pushed, you know, we could see some theater change go out of business or be out for an extended period of time just to uh, mitigate costs. But yeah, man, it's, I think it just shows you, Hey, we're, we're living 
in a pandemic that, that that's gonna that makes sense that a lot of theaters are hanging on by a thread in that time so yeah and you know what i think either it was a deadline report or variety i can't remember but it was sort of a one of their rumor reports where the author of the the article said my sources have said that executives who are trying to decide the release date for wonder woman may be meeting this week as of recording, so I'm looking at 11.5, this week are going to meet to decide whether or not to keep for Christmas or not. I didn't have time to put this in the show notes, so we're not really going to dig into it uh, explicitly, But and it's also a rumor. But um, yeah, it's interesting how like theaters are holding on, and then this week a, a piece comes out about Wonder Woman may change its date. <laughs> you're like, oh no, they're not going to make it. You can just see the, uh, you know, the AMC uh, management and any other theater management. They are sweating bullets right now because. Oh my gosh, yeah. If if Wonder Woman gets pushed, they they opened for Tenet, which didn't really uh, meet expectations, you know, domestically, and things aren't things aren't looking too good if if Wonder Woman no. gets pushed. But no. we'll have to see. So I guess we'll then get started with our first topic, which really is theater struggles and just kind of giving a kind of an update on how theaters have handled things. And the picture that I painted here was mostly focusing on AMC. I'm an AMC guy, so that's kind of one of the reasons why I check out how AMC is doing. A lot of the news that's come out about how AMC has been suffering under the pandemic really paints a picture about how movie theaters are suffering under the pandemic. So starting off, we have AMC Theater has basically just consistently been vocal about how the coronavirus pandemic was just shuttering their success in any way. And they weren't necessarily starting the year of 2020 on a on a good note. They were always kind of having a diminishing returns. So that's why they were trying to branch out into new things. This year, they released a sh- video on demand service this year or last year. Was it last year, 2018, they started the MoviePass style AMC Stubbs A-list where you can pay a monthly subscription and see a ton of movies, which I think this year, 2020 first quarter was the first quarter that they actually saw some growth and they attributed it to A-list, but that of course did not last long. In fact, so early in 2020, their early on stock market drop was as low as $3 a share, which was really bad. And there was a big fear that they just would not survive past 2022 because of this drop, because of um, nobody going to the theaters. So now they're just questioning, really, since since March, things have been so dire, they're questioning whether or not they're going to even survive as long as 2021. And I saw from Variety, in fact, most of what I collected here is from Variety, from Variety, AMC warns investors of potential bankruptcy. They're also seeking to sell about 15 million shares, which would give them a bit of money to weather a buyout, whether or not they can get to that point. We'll see. Although it seems unlikely we'll see AMC survive in 2021 unless a miracle happens, which would be a huge bummer for me because, like I said, I really enjoy AMC theaters. I think they just they have improved the theater experience, but as we'll get into it, it may be their focus on the theater experience that has caused a lot of this struggle. But there's going to be a lot of change of hands moving forward, no matter what, regarding all the assets AMC currently owns. In fact, they're saying they're selling 15 million shares. I suspect they're going to be moving towards selling assets pretty soon. From theaters to digital distribution, AMC is going to be very different on the other side of this coronavirus pandemic. So Carter, you know, I, I briefly mentioned stock market changes and assets and changes and stuff like that. And 
from what I gather about your line of work, you kind of know this world. You know the world of the stock market. You know the world of investing in businesses and focusing on how they're kind of growing and handling things. Do you want to give some insight on the really how the stock market works and why $3 a share is pretty bad and what the hopes AMC has for the future, not just for our listeners, but also for me, because I get that these are bad. I just don't really quite know the, the, the specifics of why all of these are bad. I think it really demonstrates, again, that the film industry is hurting right now, specifically the yeah. movie industry and you know AMC being one of the largest chains, if not the largest chain in America. Um, when you see its, its, its performance and specifically its stock price, that's not a good sign long term for the theatrical experience. And, you know, this is the interesting thing about the stock market, Melvin. It's all based around expectations. So recently, quarter three just ended, October 31st so or, or October 30th. It would have been this past week. It just ended. And, you know, that's when companies every quarter, they'll report their earnings, they'll report income statement, um, their balance sheet, two big things that people use to analyze how a company's doing. And it's interesting because even after, you know, a brutal quarter, obviously, where you've had a few movie releases like Tenet and New, Mut New Mutants, but not enough to bring people back into theater, into theaters in mass. It's interesting. The shares actually rose 3.7%. I think I remember seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the interesting thing about that is still, if you know, we're talking about uh, $3 a share, so that's not going to be much, right? It's going to be incredibly small. But the reason why it rose, remember, it's based around expectations. So the expectations, and I think this, this can really kind of guide us here and highlight the dire nature of the, the theatrical experience right now. The expectations were so low and, and so negative that they didn't meet those exact expectations, which gave investors, you know, whoever is, is investing in AMC, which are not, probably not many people, at least a little more confidence, confidence to put a little more money in there. And so it's, it's just fascinating that the expectations were so bottom dwelling. It's just so, so low that if you go a little bit above those expectations, you're going to experience that, that share price rise. I, I think, you know, you can relate it to, to Disney back in 2015, their expectations for that fiscal year were a little higher than what it ended up being. And remember they had things like, you know, Avengers, they had the force awakens, all these things, but these movies made in, in total, a little bit less than they were experiencing. And even though they had the best film year out of any studio, their shares still dropped because they didn't meet expectations. So the expectations were crucial here. And I think the expectations highlight for us, nobody has faith in the theatrical industry right now. I mean, they were expecting revenue to decrease by about 160 million, decreased by 119 million. So like I said, just a little bit above what they were expecting, but those expectations were so low that um, I think it can really give us a good kind of view into how people are seeing this, this unique market and, and what their expectations are, you know. And I think it, again, highlights how, how dire of a, of a state the, the theatrical industry is, is in with those low expectations. You know, AMC going forward, they... You know, they're, they're really hanging on by a lifeline with um, Wonder Woman 1984 coming out. Expectations are still going to be low. But, you know, if, if somehow Wonder Woman comes out, 
and they overperform just a little bit, their shares will will rise somewhat um, and, and they could be in a, a little bit better of a spot. I know they've been selling off a lot of debt as well. And, you know, they're just really trying to stay alive because there's a lot of movies waiting for them to uh, to house, but they're just not coming out right now because the studios, they don't want to experience that that profit loss. I mean, and, and I think one thing that I would be curious to hear your thoughts on, Melvin, is do you think that we'll ever reach pre-pandemic numbers? Like, are we ever going to get an Avengers in-game? And if not, should studios just start releasing movies right now? Because one thing studios have to realize is even with a Black Widow or with a Wonder Woman, it doesn't matter if you push it back two months, you're still not, because of the nature of this pandemic, people are not going to want to go to the theater. And so, you know, it's like, I I think studios have to start realizing, hey, we're not going to make as much money as we thought. But what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that AMC will be around by 2022? You think these studios, or do you think these studios are just going to put these uh, movies on premium uh, VOD release? In terms of like, will we ever have another Endgame style experience? I, I don't think so. I think I think Endgame was a was a unique thing for the theater industry, in the sense that we really weren't in the age of blockbusters anymore. In my opinion. I think after 2016, that sort of happened. I mean, it's going to sound really strange because I, I, this is a terrible movie, but like Suicide Squad made a ton of money and was a really powerful blockbuster. I don't think it broke a billion, but it was just, it was a property nobody really knew anything about and yet made bank. And it also wasn't a good movie and it made bank. So I would say that is almost a better example of like a successful movie experience because Endgame was working up to it. It's the culmination of 20 some odd movies. It's a staple to go see kind of thing. So I guess I'll say two things. Well, could we see another Endgame in, in, in its own unique sense of like several movies building up to this? I don't think so. I even think Marvel can't do that again. I just can't think of Marvel capturing that again unless it works with its new audience to do that. So like if Black Widow is going to take off and it's going to become like the Zoomers movie, you know what I mean? Like Iron Man became the Millennials movie and then the Zoomers are growing up with Black Widow into the next generation of whatever 20 movies Marvel does. Then I could see... Yeah, another endgame. Now, in terms of like the Suicide Squad equivalent, where like, which I know Suicide Squad had, it's it's part of the DC universe, whatever that even is anymore, because it, they didn't even, Warner Brothers didn't even know what a DC universe was. Um, Suicide Squad being its own kind of movie, making bank, and that kind of just being this strange blockbuster that just made a lot of money, even though it's just a trash film. I don't know if we'll see something like that again, where an unknown property comes out and it becomes successful and it it takes the world by storm. Not only that, it makes a lot of merchandise. So there's a lot of money to be made in the other industries of merchandising and is is just and it, and it really is because people went to see it in theaters. I don't I don't know if we're going to get that again. I think streaming is so big now not just in terms of like business opportunity and marketability, but also how people watch things. I have A-list still, and I just haven't been going to the theater. I feel, I'll say this, for about a month and a half, month or two, there was a really safe, strong period of which I would feel comfortable going to the movies and I wouldn't be causing somebody to get COVID nor nor myself because there were there were no recorded cases in my area. 
there were just there was nothing within like a, a, a big period so going was safe and yet i still didn't go and i go to movies for for not blockbusters i go to movies for independent films and romances and and i'll also say rom-coms i don't see like straight romances but i'll, I'll because of a list i'll go see kind of whatever and i just wasn't going but i was watching streaming and also i was reading and i was playing video games so i was just in other media formats because i just i don't know i just could do that and i think this is where like the thing with amc is so i guess we're gonna do this now i i kind of alluded to it a little bit but like amc has only stuck in the theater industry it's never really branched out it's stuck in the theater industry. I read a really great piece on this. I, I can't remember who wrote it or where it was from. So know that there, this is these aren't necessarily original thoughts. And if I can find the piece, maybe I'll toss in the show notes. But the piece basically talked about how AMC, since its inception in like the 1930s, has just done theaters. And yet there, there was like a drop off point in like the 70s when people just weren't going to theaters as much as they used to. And so AMC just decided, though, that the way to keep their business model working was to just make theaters bigger and better. But if the core audience is already transitioning to something else, something being bigger and better isn't going to draw you back in. They need something similar but different. So a good example that was put in this piece, again, big apology that I'm not remembering who wrote this or anything, but the example they gave was Netflix and that Netflix started as a movie distributor in terms of mail, but then predicted that they would be better off going to streaming. Now, the core format of Netflix of distributing films to the audience in a more convenient way still remained, but they recognized that there was a more efficient way to do that, and that was streaming. And then moving forward, they realized we need to make our own properties because although we're seeing success by basically re-airing Breaking Bad in the convenience of somebody else's home so they could they can binge it and stuff like that. They said, we need to do our own stuff. So they did House of Cards. And that was a big success. And that's continued to this point where they even saw that with like, we need to be reaching all different genres and markets. That's why like each week, Netflix will put up movies that just like it, it because netflix is so myopic you think like why do they have this movie in this genre here and it's like well because they're trying to reach every market and that's what they're doing now which is kind of to the detriment i think of netflix because it becomes so muddled and crowded that they'll be releasing stuff that just doesn't reach like people like me like i'm not interested in the weird new I'll say it this way. I'm obviously, as a Christian, not interested in some sort of weirdo sex erotica film. And yet Netflix will put that up because what their focus is, is trying to touch every market, which is unfortunate for obvious reasons in terms of that particular kind of movie. But that's what they're doing. And they're seeing success in that because they're hitting every market. And AMC just didn't do that. AMC just decided we're just going to stick to being a movie distributor that that uh, we're going to stick to being a theater distributor i should say and that doesn't quite work when nobody's comfortable to yeah 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 it's like nobody is comfortable to go right now i mean even even somebody like me who i i think i just looking at the numbers and i i i don't give the the, the virus as much reverence as maybe reverence isn't the right word but i i don't i'm not that worried about it but in reality, there are a lot of people that are. And, and so that's going to keep a lot of people back from the theaters. And yeah, and I think that's we just can't deny it. Like whether 
whatever our position on that virus is, you know, whether we think it's very serious or, or less serious, you know, it's, it's not going to take away from the fact that most people, and, and this was shown by Tenet's performance, just don't feel comfortable with going back to the theater. And so, you know, even with New York and, and por- at least portions of New York opening up for movie theaters um, and then California sometime soon, it's hard to tell what's going to happen. Even there, I mean, those, those states are still locked down. And, you know, I, I was reading a report that said the movie theaters that open in New York, they can't sell concessions. So, what theater is going to want to open where you yeah. can't sell concessions? I mean, right. you can't make any profit as a theater. That's where they make most of their money. We're in this really interesting spot where it, either the state is shut down or we just have people who don't want to go. And I think here's a hot take for you, moment. I want to hear your thoughts. I do think that movies will, will be okay. But I, as to the date, as to when people will start feeling comfortable again, I have no idea, right? Nobody does. But I do feel confident movie theaters will be back because, you know, you, you were talking about Netflix and streaming. And, and I agree. I think AMC probably could have open, made, made a way in that industry. And I think that's kind of what they're doing with Universal in that 17-day window where they, they put the movie in theater. And then 17 days later, uh, Universal can put it on premium video on demand. But I think w- one thing I've heard from one of my uh, friends who works in the uh, private equity space is he was just saying, like, and he, his company owns a lot of uh, movie theaters. He was saying movie theaters and, and their managers see their biggest competition, not as streaming, but as but things like bowling or things like, mm-hmm. you know, going out to dinner, mm-hmm. which I think those things will return. And that, that makes me think movie theaters will, too, especially with the, the movies that are being held back. But I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that I mean, in, in your heart of hearts, Melvin, do you think that movie theaters are going out of business by 2022? Oh, uh, I mean, I think it'll be much more scarce. I think you kind of went in the, you kind of shared a bit of insight of like, you know, theaters need to make money through concessions. Like that's something they introduced. And then, but then the thing is, is that the mode of reaching their customer as well as advancing their how, like what they produce and stuff is all ultimately limited to the theater space. And it's funny that you mentioned even the the deal that AMC made with uh, Universal about the 17-day thing. So it's basically, uh, to any listener that wants further clarification, it's basically a, th- a film from Universal can screen at AMC and from the day of opening to 17 days later, then the, the film can also go to streaming in a premium VOD format. This is only with Universal, I believe. But one of the things that I thought about that that was strange is like AMC has their own PVOD service. So does the deal say that the 17 day limit is it'll be in theaters and then after that there will be a, a, a couple weeks where it's on PVOD but exclusively on the AMC service. So then AMC's still getting revenue cut. That would be really smart, in my opinion, because then at home I would download the AMC app. And then if I wanted to see it, I could still purchase a ticket through there. In fact, there was even the missed opportunity of this streaming. The, P, the, the AMC premium video service that they had started before COVID and before the March lockdown. And I was like, why doesn't my A-list membership also include watching movies through that? Because then over that six-month period where AMC was closed, they could have still gotten my revenue from me renting movies off of their service which I totally would have done. But because that wasn't happening, I went to Vudu or I went to Prime and would do rentals there. 
because that's just the app that I have downloaded. I, I, I'll I say this, AMC, speaking specifically about AMC, because I think theaters, yeah, they'll still exist. They're just going to change. AMC is going to have to do either major changes or it's going to be bought out, which moves towards, I didn't prepare this, but longtime listeners of the show will know we've talked about this before, me and Daniel, but the idea of like, there was a deal, I forget what it was, or no, there was a law, a bill that I can't remember the name of it. Maybe you remember it, Carter, that basically prevented movie production studios from owning theaters and only showing their own movies in those theaters because it would be monopolizing the the market for distribution and then limit the kinds of movies you could see in certain areas. So example, if you wanted to screen Black Widow in a theater, there would be, and, and this, this goes hand in hand with another uh, deal that basically was like something called block booking, where if a theater wanted to show Black Widow, they would have to sign a deal and say, okay, if you want to show us Black Widow, you also need to put in these other three Avengers themed films, as well as some of our other properties, such as like a Mulan or whatever. And theaters couldn't do that. Distributors couldn't do that. They couldn't, they couldn't basically say, oh, you want Black Widow for five screens in your theater? Well, you need to give five screens to this too. It was all strictly the one movie with the one thing. That's gone. That bill, I believe, has passed, uh, I'm sorry, has passed away this year. So now theaters and companies can make these deals, which will be the de- to the detriment of two things, independent content creators who want to show their movies in theaters and to theaters because they'll be locked into like, well, we've already signed this deal for Black Widow to screen in our theaters, but I'm just saying this out of nowhere tom holland says the n-word on twitter so now everyone's angry and they're not going to see the new spider-man movie well amc has already signed a deal that said black widow was screening which means they have to show spider-man in the future now amc is like well no one's going to see spider-man 3 because tom holland had a gamer moment and said the n-word so now we're stuck showing spider-man in the future even though we know we're not going to get the profits that we want to see this idea of block booking and theaters being owned by distributors exists now. And so it's going to be very different no matter what. So I'm kind of giving you a non-answer. The only other outcome that can happen then, of course, is that these big companies like Universal or Sony or Disney actually purchase the assets from AMC and other theaters, which is to say they purchase the actual theater and all of its screens and then just show their own movies and have unique deals to independent distributors like Neon, like A24, like whatever, to then say, yeah, you can show your movie in our Disney theater, which probably won't happen, especially if Disney buys theaters, unless they make like a subsidiary to do it, and then they can distance themselves from showing like a St. Maud or something, which would just be so sad uh, if they're screening St. Maud. But <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other, whole other issue. <laughs> you act, you're going Maud. to see like, you're going in to see like a the, 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 the next rendition of like, I don't know, like what... Pocahontas, the new Pocahontas movie, but you accidentally walk in on a same lot. That'd be miserable. (laughs) All that to say is there's a lot of changes, so much so that I'm realizing we should have just written show notes for all of this, but I just didn't think to do so. It's There's so much going on right now, and it's not necessarily all good things. It's just, or necessarily even bad things. It's just very, very different that I think 
if people took the time to just sort of watch, they'll find very fascinating. So hopefully uh, to any listener who just hasn't known anything about any of the stuff we've talked about, you've found this really entertaining. I know I have because it is it is crazy. Um, I'll say I'll ask this, but as we sort of transition to the next thing first, but Carter, you know, you talked about expectations. The stock market is about expectations. And honestly, watching these these industry changes is about expectations, whether or not you're invested in the stock market. What are your personal expectations as somebody who watches the stock market regarding AMC? Do you see AMC surviving or not? Do you see massive changes in who owns the assets? So maybe a Disney owns it, maybe a Universal owns it. Do you see just theater goers not going to the theaters and 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 finding that their couch or their bed is more comfortable and watching movies <laughs> or maybe even their cell phone watching movies on cell phones what do you think so so two things i think you know we talked about the expectations just how they were so low you know that's that's something we got to take into account people are not expecting much from the film industry at least yeah um in the next 6 months and then we also got to talk about the Supreme Court ruling that you're referring to was that uh, U.S. versus Paramount Pictures ruling, and it was it was in the 1940s, which is crazy. I mean, but these two things, we look at our expectations and we look at the fact that this was, I guess we'll say nullified. I don't know what the legal term would be, but yeah. you know, now yeah. – and, and the, the decision was studios can't own theaters because of the, the monopoly-like nature of that. that. That's been done away with too, and I think – the the industry is kind of like the wild wild west in that nobody really knows what's going to happen and and these two things the low expectations and that being nullified that ruling just again they they signal that hey this this industry is struggling right now and and for them to do that for you know the court to do that that says a lot about and and I think they understand that the movie industry is in 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 dire need of a of a lifeline and so you know, if we're talking about expectations, I, I do think that AMC will be around. I, I do think they'll they'll probably be under different ownership. That is barring a, a miracle. Say Wonder Woman 1984 comes out and, you know, we have Death on the Nile and we have Free Guy. And there's some kind of vaccine, which personally, I don't think the vaccine is going to solve it. But what I think that would do is that would solve the, the consumer's fear of going out to, to the movies, mm-hmm. um, at least in the next three or four months. I think if that doesn't go through, not, not just the vaccine, but just those movies br- bringing people back to the theaters, then AMC will probably have to be bought off by one of these studios or by just an angel investor who really loves movies. <laughs> you know, there's got to be a billionaire out there who just loves movies and can't survive if movie theaters go out of business. So they have to talk to whoever keeps investing in Terrence Malick or Lars von Trier <laughs> or like a Gaspar Noe because you have to love movies and idolize movies to support them, knowing that there yep. is no return on any of their films, especially if if you're supporting a Gaspar Noe or a Lars von Trier. You, you, you idolize movies. That's the only reason you'd be supporting <laughs> them. So I, maybe, maybe that guy's out there. Yeah. We need somebody like that or a studio because again, if, you know, if one woman gets moved, um, that's kind of like the big, the big linchpin. If that gets moved, that's going to change things big time. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do feel confident theaters will be around. I'm not confident they'll be under the same ownership. Yeah, and and even to that end, why would you invest in AMC 
if you know that the assets ownership could change any minute. Investing in AMC would be like, well, Disney's the one who's probably going to buy these theaters. So why don't I invest in Disney instead? And and I think one thing we could see, you know, so currently these are publicly held companies, at least in portion, like AMC and Cinemark. I think we could see a lot of these theaters go private, um, whether they're bought out by private equity firms or, or like we said, that angel investor. I don't know if they'll be on the market publicly after this. Yeah. Kind of like uh, my favorite my favorite theater chain, which is Harkins Theaters, which, you know, if I didn't have Harkins, AMC probably would be my favorite just by default. But man, it, Melvin, you haven't been to the theaters until you've been to a Harkins movie theater. <laughs> that, they know how to do movies. And, you know, they're, they're kind of a family-owned establishment here. They have a few in California, a few in Colorado, but... I think that's kind of what the movie industry is going to look like. A lot of privately owned theaters. So Melvin, we were talking about Wonder Woman 1984 and how that's really the, that's, that's the lifeline for, for theaters right now. And, you know, it's been interesting to, to take a look at the other movies that have either said they're staying in 2020 or have moved or have moved into the abyss of uh, premium video on demand. And the first one that really comes to mind, this is probably the biggest one, is Pixar's Soul, mm-hmm. which is an Oscar contender from everything we're hearing from the from the director of Up and Inside Out, uh, Pete Docter. And he's one of Pixar's go-to guys. And this looks like it's going to be a big winner for them. But it's skipping theaters and going straight to Disney Plus So for, for a Christmas release. And it's going to be free. So instead of Mulan with that paywall... Soul is going to be completely free. And I think they're, you know, releasing it around Christmas is genius too. I mean, think of how many families are going to be watching Soul. Think of how many families who would usually go out to see a Star Wars movie during Christmas. They're going to be at home. They're going to be watching Soul. So, yeah. you know, it. I'm, I, I think that was a very high profile release. What do you think? And, and I think it's interesting to look at the difference between Mulan and how there was a mm-hmm. paywall in front of it and on Disney Plus and how they're handling Soul. You know, why why do you think they did that? Why do you think that they're just making it free to all Disney Plus subscribers? I think there's there's a lot of industry speculation regarding that difference. And I think most people land that like Disney was probably disappointed with the premium price for Mulan, which if people don't know, I'm sure you do because you probably have D+, but it was $30. Even though you're already paying a monthly subscription for Disney+, Plus, it was an additional $30 to unlock Mulan and stream it. And that's with the understanding that even in December, the film would ultimately just become free to, to members of Disney+. Plus. Disney was pretty clear that this was a testing, testing the waters to see how they felt about it. And a lot of speculation is that because Pixar is just becoming Pixar's soul is just going to be free on like Christmas Day or something, that the test with Mulan was not successful, that the profits made from it wasn't high enough for them to really keep doing it. To keep saying like, here's our next, like, here's Pixar's soul for another $30 and then wait three months though and it'll be free. I think that it was wise to do a test, but I also think even in terms of like the differences, they also really got unlucky with it being Mulan because Mulan was just consistently steeped in controversy. Um, It was just never, (laughs) it was not in the stars. It was just not going to work out. 
and and just like light background on those controversies, which some people think doesn't affect the movie industry as much. Like I remember my dad and a couple other people suspecting that. Remember, remember when Ender's Game was the the adaption for Ender's Game was coming out, but then people were really upset with his with um who wrote Ender's Game? I forget. Or- Orson Scott Card. Yes, they was were it his really politics that they were frustrated. They were with? really upset with his politics, and yeah, they were they didn't want to they didn't want to support the film because of it. And then the film, for many reasons, was not successful. But that doesn't help when there's a bad air to it, especially when the people that go see movies are typically artsy, typically keep up with socio political stuff. So like, it, it's not good. So I I usually land on the side that Paul these political controversies do affect movies and in the case of mulan uh it could not get away from them uh the lead actress had said that she stood with the chinese government amidst the protests for freedom and uh amidst totalitarianism in which uh during those protests people were being abducted and going missing uh they were also uh protesting issues regarding free speech, basically everything people would protest in the United States by not wearing a mask. This is what these people were doing in China, but actually because of persecution and not because they were being told to wear a mask. And she just basically said like she stood with the police. It was not good. It was really, it was really bad. Um, And then in the credits of the film, and this is also while people could watch at home, so they could just screenshot what this was. In the credits of the film for Mulan, it had a thank you, which typically movies will thank their shooting locations. But they said they thanked, I think the, I don't know if they're provinces or cities, but Xinjiang, I can't, don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. But this, they thanked this, this place. And it was the same place that, the story broke, I think, in 2018, but got new light this year about Uyghur Muslims. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right either. I am very much a Yankee American who doesn't speak well. I'm sorry. Uyghur <laughs> Muslims who were basically being genocided. They're, now, the Chinese government said they're being sent to re-education camps, but we all know what that means. They're basically genocide camps where people are being mentally, physically, and sexually abused. This is this is really really bad stuff. Um, they're also being used to produce a lot of commodities, so like your Xbox One, your cell phone, um, a lot of things that are made in China were coming from these re-education camps in which people were not being paid for their work. In fact, I think that's the reason this year it got new light is because a lot of the story that broke not only said that this was happening, but was able to track which companies were being were using their factories. So like Nike shoes was was one of the big issues of which they have not they have also been having a lot of issue about not paying proper wages. I said this was going to be brief. It's not brief. All this to say is there's a lot of controversy surrounding Mulan, which which definitely I think I think it absolutely affected its reach. I know we shouldn't give much credence to the Twitter mobs, but like people who post on Twitter are the people who are watching movies. And so obviously that something like this, I think is a big deal. So all that to say is, yeah, Mulan probably did not do well. And that's why Pixar's soul is going to be a straight free movie on, on Christmas. But also I think maybe they, they probably could have done it again at a cheaper price because $30 is a lot of money. I know that they're paying for the fact that a family isn't going and, and so it's not like six people 
going to the movies, buying six tickets. So now they're getting six tickets worth of revenue. So by doing $30, they're kind of getting a moot point because they could also be in the people buying the movie could be inviting friends over so that I get that. But $30 is a big kick in the teeth when you're thinking about like middle class expense expenses and even less than. So especially during a pandemic, like I could spend $30 on watching a movie that I probably will not enjoy and, and it's critics ratings were not good. So that helped or did not help. Or I could spend $30 on like, uh, groceries or takeout or beer to then invite friends over like social distance style outside. It just didn't make much sense to me. So I, I I find these differences fascinating because it's just like I like I find industry stuff fascinating. I don't even play video games as much as I keep up on video game industry news because <laughs> I just find it fascinating. So I, I think that's where I land on those differences. But what about you? Like, Carter, do you think do you think that these different the differences between how Mulan is distributed and Soul is distributed is because of Mulan's controversies and lack of income? Or do you think it's just because it is such a big brain, super smart move to just make Pixar soul free with your subscription and out on Christmas Day. I, I think it's I think it's two things. I think Mulan. I think I'm sh- I'm sure that that uh, that that series controversy did have a an effect on it. I wouldn't think it would be that big of an effect. But one thing I would say too is with I think people also overestimate premium VOD. I mean Mulan. And and this is one thing I wanted to get into with you, Melvin. Is out of any other year that I've I've been alive, I'm 23. It's felt like you know we made plans at the beginning of the year to hey we're probably going to see Mulan, we're probably going to see Soul in theaters, we're going to see Tenet in theaters, we're going to see yeah the French Dispatch. We made plans and God laughed, you know. And it's like it just continues to show me like hey the Lord you know the Lord is the one who who charts the course. He's the one who is control is in control. You know, we, we like to think we're in control, but this year has just shown us how out of control we are, you know, and how, how in control he is. And, you know, he's using this for, for his glory and, and to, you know, for, for his bride in, in the church. And so it's been very interesting to, to see like, Hey, th- these two movies that we expected to see in theaters, soul and Mulan are now either uh, behind a paywall on Disney plus or going to be free on Disney plus. And I think that, you know, at the same time, the uh, the industry was probably gearing up for a big year. And I, I think the industry has realized they can't make the returns they would on premium video on demand that they would in theaters. Um, there's just not that big of a demand. Now, we haven't seen a film like A No Time to Die or A Black Widow get released. That Those, those types of films would carry with them a lot of interest. But when you put Mulan on there behind the $30 paywall, I think that's going to deter a lot of people. And I think they, they realize that. And, and for soul, they, I, I'm sure what really drove it was they were like, Hey, it's going to be, we can probably be bringing uh, more money through subscriptions and, and people just wanting to subscribe to the service because of the option for, to watch soul free. Um, then they are having people subscribe to the service, you know, work behind that paywall. So it's really fascinating that one, all these movies we expected to see in theaters were either they're pushed back to 2021 or we're seeing them on premium video on demand. And then also how these studios are navigating the wild, wild west. Oh yeah. Do you think a movie, I mean, again, 
taking away the controversy of Mulan, do you think that, which is definitely something we should, that's, that's, that's something we should take into account when analyzing its performance. Absolutely. I mean, even, even the, uh, I forget her name or her, her job title at Disney, but there was a sale, there was an investor call and she was like the head of like something with regards to like public relations and Mulan and, and stuff. And she, she just flat out said like, yeah, the controversy really affected Mulan or something like that. You, you can find it if you search basically like Mulan Disney controversy, you'll, you'll find the quote. But so, so there's no way we couldn't talk about it. We had to <laughs> even Disney coming out and saying like, this is a big deal was like, all right, yeah, we're talking about this. Exactly. My question for you, Melvin would be, do you think, if there's a $30 paywall for uh, a no time to die or a black widow, do you think that those movies would have made the kind of return or at least close to the return that they would, they could have expected from uh, being in theaters? Because I think Mulan, we definitely have to factor in the controversy, but then also it's not going to have the, the market capability that something like a no time to die or a black widow or a Wonder Woman 1984 would have, like, do you think those movies would have a chance at being profitable if they were premium video on demand releases? No, I, I don't think so at all. I, I think um, there's a really good example of sort of like market change from a Drew Gooden episode that just got posted, I think like two or three weeks ago, where he's a YouTuber, Drew Gooden, where he talks about cable companies. And he basically talks about how the most the most powerful insight he gives is he he's about our age i would say so 20s maybe early or late 20s and he says when i think about how i consume media with regards to television shows and movies and i think advertisements i think if i have to watch ads then it's free so i don't have to get a subscription i don't have to do whatever it's free and he says cable companies pay you an exorbitant premium of like 120 and there's hidden fees all of the time. It is, if you have cable and you're listening to stop paying for cable, this is the dumbest thing. Um, just, just get like internet. And if you're not using internet for gaming, get the lowest internet, you'll be fine. Streaming. You'll, you'll, you'll slash your prices more than in half. Um, but he basically says like, you're paying this like over a hundred dollars price to watch shows that are sped up by like 1.2 speed so that more advertisements can be thrown at you. And he's like, why would I spend money when, when, when I've watched YouTube for hundreds of thousands of hours and it's free and I get one to two ads that are 15 seconds long? It doesn't, he's like, it doesn't make any sense. When I think of advertisements now, he's like, I think of there's a tiny image when I pause the screens so like Hulu. If you pause a Hulu uh, episode, in fact, when we watch like a cartoon, like regular show, there's no advertisements unless I pause it. And then the advert just sort of shows it like a still image. So like advertising has changed so much in that sense. Inc basically income, how a company makes money has changed so much so that when I have a streaming service that I'm already paying for subscription wise, I shouldn't have to pay, pay a premium amount to then get more access it's actually why something something like peacock where they have like three tiers there's like free tier there's second tier where you get more access but ads and then the third tier where you get even more access and no ads i'm like to me i, I get what they're trying they're trying to do like a new different system but i think netflix that has solidified it 
Netflix knows that there is, um, well, I think Netflix technically has two tiers. They have like their standard and then they have like their super ultra high def streaming amount. Netflix basically says pay one price. It's going to be quite a bit. I think it's like 16 bucks now. Again, I forgot to check, but you get access to movies that are the equivalent of a no time to die that are the equivalent of a black widow that are the equivalent of, and the quality is unbelievable. And there's not a single advertisement running through it. And I'm not paying a premium amount to, to watch them. And like, I, I just don't see why I would like, to me, it's a downgrade. It is me being stupid to pay $30 to watch Mulan. That's what I think. Especially when you look at the ratings of the film, it's like, yeah, I'm going to wait till it's free. Why would I watch a film with like, I watch, I watch bad movies all the time, so I'm not going to like act like that, but like, why would I watch a bad movie for $30? You know what I mean? So I think I'm just going to say it. The coming generation is that is watching TikToks on end or YouTube videos on end where there's very little advertisements and they're very brief and doesn't spend money to consume the media they 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 consume it is it is it is old hats fat cats who think it is a good idea to say pay $30 to watch soul obviously they're not doing that they're learning that this is not going to be viable but i just don't i just don't think it's going to work man i i don't consume media like that like i said i would feel like a give me the dunce cap and make me stand in the corner for sp- spending $30 on a mulan there's no reason I would ever watch a No Time to Die for premium $30 price when Martin Scorsese's Irishman was just free on Netflix. I don't get it, dude. Maybe I get more heated about this. Are you like that? Do you get more <laughs> emotional about this? I don't know. <laughs> I uh, It would be rare. I mean, something like No Time to Die, I would pay for, honestly. I mean, that's that's a movie I want to see. I but... would rent it. Like I've done, I've done $12 rentals, $6 rentals, but I wouldn't do a $30 rental. See, I would. I would invite a ton of people over, but at the same time, I'm with you on certain movies like Mulan. I didn't even think about it. I'm like, no way. I'm not, I don't even want to watch it, so I'm not going to invite people over to watch it. But then there's other stuff. It, you know, it'd, it'd be like the French Dispatch, which, you know, that that wouldn't be thirty dollars in the first place. But and then probably No Time to Die, and then if Dune was put on there, which it never would be, uh, I, I would pay fifty or sixty bucks, honestly. I mean, and and just invite people over, and we can split the cost. But one thing that you know I think is really interesting. You, you mentioned YouTube and just the the upcoming culture. I mean, my wife and I's cousin, she is. 10 years old and her movie stars are not Leonardo DiCaprio or Jennifer Lawrence or Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. Her movie stars are, you know, YouTube stars. So they're, I, I don't know if she watches the Paul brothers. I hope she doesn't like Jake Paul and those guys. Yes, please. If she is, you got to take that. Phone please, away. Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take it away right now. But hey, those are their movie stars. I mean, guys, guys and girls like that. I mean, I, I, I don't know the, uh, the female YouTubers, that well but it i mean it's like those youtubers those are their movie stars so this generation is growing up and like you said they they have instant access they grew up with tablets their movie stars are not theatrical they are tiktok stars they are youtube stars and so it's going to be interesting to see and 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 like you said they like things now so it's going to be interesting to see what survives from this? I think, you know, big blockbusters like Marvel movies, those are always going to bring people in. But 
you know, are the mid mid budget movies, are those going to survive or are they just going to be automatic video on demand releases? You know, like is the next Paul Thomas Anderson movie going right to uh, some kind of streaming service so that they can guarantee a profit? I, I don't know, but it's it's going to be very interesting. I'll even say I was reading a piece last night before. Uh, so I, I, <laughs> I was almost falling asleep reading it, not because it was bad, but because I had a vertigo spell. So I'm on like a like a prescription. So it's making me so tired. <laughs> um, I didn't even take it this morning. We're recording like pretty much 10 minutes after I woke up because I need to if I took it, I would fall back asleep. Um, but uh, I was reading this piece last night about Amazon and how they are like, why they're starting to see that it's better for them to make movies for Amazon Prime service as opposed to doing an Amazon studio film and go to theaters and then put it on Prime. One example in this article was their partnership with Blumhouse, which, man, Jason Blum, dude's killing it. I think he <laughs> understands. He sees that he saw the change, not just in like horror movies becoming more, more accepted, culturally accepted and exciting. But also is sort of keeping up with like, like he had a partnership with Hulu and they did a lot of things. They're not all particularly good, but they did a lot of things. Um, now he's got this prime one and they're doing like eight movies together. And it's like, it's a series, but then they're all films within that series. And I think like there was a Joey King movie that just came out called The Lie that I've been meaning to watch because she's just an actor that I like to watch. She's not in particularly good ones, but if she's in it, I'll just watch it anyway. They were talking like Blum was talking about how at first he wasn't quite comfortable with making deals where they make a movie and then it's a, it's like a, it's like a raindrop dropped into a pond. Like it immediately vanishes and that makes him uncomfortable. But he says these deals help them to kind of like, if they put a movie out through like a prime, it's going to be seen. People are going to watch it because it's going to get some advertisement. It's going to be something that they push a bit more. And f for all of the stuff that Jason Blum writes, puts his name on to put out, like, I don't know why they keep saying Blumhouse's Truth or Dare or Blumhouse's Fa Fantasy Island or what was the recent one? Blumhouse's The Craft, I think. They keep putting his name on stuff that's not particularly good. They didn't do it with Get Out. I don't know why <laughs> they should have done that. But uh, Or Whip Whiplash is a Blumhouse movie, if you didn't know. They, he has this good understanding of what people want to see and how to see it. And that's why there's these deals of like even Amazon saying, it's just better for us to distribute straight to our service and get more people on Prime than it is for us to put it in theaters. And I think, I think that is such a big signifier, huge signifier of this transition that, yeah, theaters are still going to be around. And I would love to keep going to the movies to watch like a black widow. And I remember there was even an interview with Lulu Wang who did the farewell, which is just such a good movie. And she was approached by an online distributor for a lot of money, a lot of money to have her film distributed through streaming exclusively. But she herself wanted it to be in theaters. She really wanted it to be in theaters. And she knew the deal for dis distribution that she got for theaters was not going to be as much. Um, but she wanted it. And so I think theaters will still be around because people do want to have their movies on the big screen. But, you know, we're talking about how 
big companies are learning the game of online distribution. And I think, I think it is heading towards a big, 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 big shift to the dependence on, on um, distribution through streaming. And I think, uh, I think 2020 people keep saying 2020 expedites these things. I guess that's true, but I think they've already been there. I think it just reveals that this is the direction to everybody that this is the direction where it's going. So I don't know. I, uh, yeah, those are, those, those are me thoughts. Thanks for coming <laughs> to my Ted talk. Um, that's, <laughs> didn't really have like a transition out of that. I just had a lot of information dumped and then I was like, well, Oh, I don't know where to go. <laughs> I'll, I'll say this, Melvin, me thoughts are that the, the film industry is in pretty bad shape right now, at least the theatrical um, industry. And, yes, definitely. You know, it's, Honestly, like we've been using this term of like the wild, wild west, but it really does feel like that. Like who knows what else gets put on premium video on demand before the end of the year? Yeah. I could see maybe not, uh, you, you know, Bond or Black Widow, but something big I, I could see getting put on there. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this year closes out. And then also, you know, with the Oscar eligibility frame, like there, are, there will be technically 2020 movies that come out. I think all the way up till February, late February is the cutoff date, mm -hmm. like Oscar movies. So it's, it's going to be fascinating, man. And, and, you know, I just, I think we just got to keep an eye on Wonder Woman 84 and, and really see, Hey, what's, what's going to happen with this? Cause that's gonna, that's going to create a domino effect, whether it stays or moves. So then I guess for, for closing, let's, let's put our money where our mouth is. Where do we think Wonder Woman is going to go? There are three places. It stays on its Christmas Day release. It gets pushed to a t some unknown 2021 release, or it goes to HBO Max on Christmas. <laughs> Ooh, I think I think they're going to do a hybrid. I think they're going to try to release it in theaters. I think they're going to do something like that 17 day window with AMC. Yeah, and then uh, try to put it on there. The reason, and then try to put it on HBO Max or some kind of premium video on demand. Reason why is because. The 2021 is already so crowded with everything getting pushed back to next year. It's going to be hard to find a, 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 a spot for that movie to yeah. kind of operate. So that's that's my prediction. I think kind of a hybrid. What are, what are your thoughts? I, I could see them putting it on HBO Max. I think Netflix has set the precedent and even Hulu in some cases, but especially Prime too. But Netflix especially has set the precedent that you can release tentpole massive event movies on their service and people will just love it. They'll love it because I think the theater experience is communal, but now that we're so connected through the internet and now that Netflix has the top 10 thing going on, which I think is a blessing and a curse blessing because it unites people to watch similar things. And then you can have your conversation on Twitter and you can have your conversation in a messenger chat and stuff like that, which I think is a really good positive. I think that helps garner the, 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 the community aspect you lose with the theater or, or not going to the theater, but it's also a curse because you get movies like knock knock, which should never be on the top 10. And for some reason is on the top 10. It is a trash movie. It has always been a trash movie. It has always been a streaming trash movie too. Is that the Keanu Reeves movie? Yes. With Anna de Arms okay. and is, yes. is very bad. Um, not just critically bad, but also like morally a very bad movie. Yep. Please do not watch it. 
it it and, and that movie's been on streaming since like 20 since it came out like i saw that i remember it being like a hulu staple it was on netflix staple but then it's just yeah anyways 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 i could see hbo max getting wonder woman and then the christmas discussion online would be talking about soul and wonder woman and the metric that would be followed by these companies would be which ones talked about more and which one garnered more subscriptions engagement engagement yeah. i think i think that i think that is going to be i think that's where the industry is going i really do and cuz there's going to be a lot of money saved by not having to make deals with theater companies across the entire not even just the united states but the globe by just distributing it yourself so I, I see massive changes and I see positivity for the streaming industry in that. And I actually do. I, I, I'm not going to bet money on it. Obvi, <laughs> not a betting man, but <laughs> I could see, I could see Warner brothers going, Wonder Woman's going straight to HBO max. So we'll see. We'll know. Yeah. We'll know in a few, probably pretty soon, <laughs> probably right after this election is done. They're going to, they're going to, Oh my gosh. Yeah. A lot of news will come out. Oh Yeah. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Monthly Movie News. We hope you enjoyed it. If you enjoy the show, always feel free to share your thoughts with a review, follow us on social media, check out the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group, or support us on Patreon and get some sick perks. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thanks so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best and your continued monetary support means the world to us. All important links will be in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematicdoctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.